0: Be a rider, well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminished and the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the red room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerd is got no time for no kata. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring no game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome
1: to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guess. You guys are listening to the Screenwriter's Rant Room. Will we keep it real, Will we keep it opinionated, Will we keep it what, Chris? 2017. 2017. Is your mouth full of red vines? Is that what it is? Yes. <laughs> yes I, I
2: was trying to swallow faster than you can speak, but I couldn't do it in time.
1: You guys know how we do it on the Rant Room. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, and um, <laughs> but our focus is always. Uh, screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that Yes, you can cuss on my show <laughs> uh, uh, Quick little little disclaimer, Lisa Bolacaja is out today She's out, um, had some family issues and stuff like that So, you know, we wish you guys all the best out there um, Lisa and your family And um, welcome to the show, Chris, what's going down? Not much, just um, here today Right, Gone about, tomorrow? No, I'm
2: to talk about one of my favorite subjects.
1: Yes, yes. John Coltrane. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I was telling. I mean, I was
2: I was telling uh, Hilliard earlier when we saw the movie. I mean, I uh, I mean, like I probably have forty of his CDs that right. I all got when I was in college in probably like a, like a two year period. Right. I was so fascinated with the music. Right. It just was like so. Uh, Life changing
1: And I I told Chris John That I was um, That I was gonna Moderate You know your, Your film last week He was like What? Like I'm going to that. <laughs> He's like, "What time?" I was like, "Five." He's like, "I'm already going. I'm, I'm going." To see this movie for, I mean,
2: I first heard about it right. earlier in the year, and I was like, "Oh, this come on! I got to see this movie."
3: Coltrane has that impact on people, right. just uh, irrespective of age, right? Ethnicity, right? Geography, whatever it may be, Coltrane touches people mm-hmm. in a very special
1: way, right? So you guys hear his voice. <laughs> Mr. John Schoenfeld himself, writer, director, producer, I'm sure I'm forgetting nine other hyphens what else I take know? out the garbage once a week too, so. <laughs> <laughs> when the wife doesn't have to click click on them, right? Oh, yes,
3: yes. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's good to be here. Hey, man, we had, thank we you. had fun the other night. It we was did. great.
1: We did. that was a great night. And um, I was I mean I saw the the trailer, the trailer looks awesome, but you never know what to expect of a film until you see a film. And I, and we were talking about this afterward. About um, um, one of the things that I always I love doing the moderating at the at the Writers Guild, but it's always hard because nine times out of ten they don't they give me like twenty minutes. So I'm like, well, what the fuck do I want to ask him? <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially you just saw the film, so your your brain is just working with so many different things, and I also have to leave time for the audience to ask you questions. But so I sort of love
3: that, that, right. that you you sort of leaned over to me and said, you know, I'm still sort of processing what right. I just saw. I was being honest. I'm not quite. But I say, I, th- I think that's great, and that right. also speaks to the power of film. Right. That a good film uh, will impact you emotionally right. or in other ways, but... You, you you know we all as filmmakers we sit in our dark little editing room working right. for months at a time and you hope you're doing good work, mm-hmm. but you don't know till you have a night like that where strangers come and see it and then True. if they tell you wow I was just really uh, impacted by it and then then of course you realize you've done all right you've done your job
1: right
2: well so uh, this is something I that I immediately thought was so
1: cool about your movie is that. And this dude is hard to, He is a cinephile To the 100% okay, Name a movie He's seen okay. He could be
3: raking me Across
1: so, the coals Here today so,
2: right so, 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 I mean, Okay so There's a There's a There's an impulse album, It's just called Coltrane And there's a song called I think it's called Like Outer Space Or something like that And it's like that kind of like transportive this is beyond our own dimension type of sound that he's producing at that time and I just really loved how your movie began with that stuff in space where like feeling this kind right, of like right. this this universal galaxy all that kind of like comet stuff I mean I thought that was such a such an interesting and smart Choice for this type of movie, this type of music, what it's trying to say, how it's not like he like he said in the thing, I don't play jazz, I play Cold right. It's like it's beyond just what you think, you know? And I was and the minute that happened, and then I hear that quote from like Benny Golson and it's like the cool thing too about this movie and seeing it in this venue is so that the next
1: time you need a researcher, <laughs> uh, here it is. Um,
2: <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, the sound. See, the thing is, we listen to music now in such like compressed forms and right. like MP3s and our computers. But hearing that full sound on that big speakers wow. there, I was like, oh, this it is so It was like, so full. I agree. Now. Right. I'm in. I'm <laughs> in. Those, those notes come off at the beginning and I'm in. And right. it was so. I was just, I mean, like, I was almost tearing up because I was like, oh, I love that. I love. This and it's like uh, for years I thought about is there a narrative story to tell about Coltrane? Mm. You know, and I was like, it's not like Bird's movie where it's tragic. I mean, Mm. it's tragic he dies young, but it's like his you know he he overcomes his demon and then becomes who he is. You know, and that which you did so you you portrayed and brought that done so well in the movie Mm -hmm. that i just was like oh yeah this is a story that i know but it felt like i didn't know it it was like that's what was really cool about it well and that's
3: the goal we had um the opening is really interesting i don't know uh, in your own work what what where your challenges are but for me uh, the open and the closing are always the toughest for me and they always come either right away or really late in the process that's right this opening came actually quite early really? for me. Because here's a guy, I mean, the track you mentioned, Outer Space, but this is a guy that, that did an album called uh, In- Interstellar Space, Stellar no. Regions, all kinds of things. And because he speaks to so many different things and mm-hmm. crosses so many barriers and and clearly had this cosmic... Um, consciousness I thought well, that's what we have to open with My only question was And so uh, hopefully uh, those listening to this Will go see the film and they can decide if we made the right, right decision Let's but, tell them what the film is called By the way I just realized we didn't okay. say what the movie's called It's oh. called Chasing Train Right. Uh, it's, it's named after uh, uh, One of the pieces that, that He did um, uh, Where he They uh, recorded him live at the mm-hmm. Village Vanguard In New York and uh, it was the first time this particular engineer had done a live recording. It was Rudy Van Gelder, who's oh, a legendary oh, engineer, yeah, yeah, did yes, so many great yes. jazz albums. And he said that what he didn't realize was that when Coltrane played live on stage, he kept prowling the stage, kept moving mm-hmm. around. And so to make sure that he was always on mic, Rudy had to, like, chase him around. Really? And so it was Chasing Train. Oh, oh, and that's where the piece yeah, came, the, came from. And so it was brilliant. called, for many, for many uh, weeks, it was called... Uh, Untitled Instrumental And then by the time The album came out It, it became called Chasing Train But what so, so what I was uh, What I was trying To st- uh, to find was Alright so we're gonna Have something with space Because right. that seems to, to be appropriate My my question was Are we Are we approaching Earth or uh, Or are we out in space Hearing his music Out there somewhere right. And so Your listeners can now Go and see the film And they can decide If we made the right choice
1: Interesting So let's Let's go back just a little bit and, um, and tell everybody um, just a little bit about your journey. You were talking about how you used to be an executive and that you've written you know, lots of pilots that either sold or didn't go into um, production and stuff. So can we just talk about that, time of your life a little yeah, bit and then sure. work our way up a little bit?
3: Sure. I, uh, I had been at uh, in film school at mm-hmm. Northwestern University uh, in Evanston, Illinois. And uh but I think from the time I was about eleven or twelve growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. I, I knew that I wanted to come out here and do something. Writing, right. producing, directing, something. Right. I didn't Chenille, quite Sinaza. know what it was. <laughs> 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 so um after film school was over, um uh, I didn't know a soul out here So I didn't know what to do really So I put together a very flamboyant resume My, my attitude <laughs> Did you
1: fluff it up or what did you No, do? no, no, didn't fluff it up It was
3: all true <clears throat> uh, But I I felt now all a resume has to do is get noticed right. I don't care if they read it I don't care if they remember what's in it As long as it says meet this person mm. And mine did Love It It was. Uh, it looked like a reprint of a People magazine article huh. So I, I stole the typeface And I right. had my picture on
1: <laughs> right from the Midwest, it's John Sheinfeld.
3: Uh, and then on the inside, you opened it up, and instead of the resume form we all learned in school, mm-hmm. uh, I wrote up a breezy, gossipy history of my life. How cute. And if they didn't read that, and I wasn't sure they were going to read it, I peppered it with pictures with one-line captions about, Scheinfeld does this, John does that, right. whatever. Um, and I sent it to—I don't know how—I knew development was what I wanted to do, but somehow I knew that. So I sent it to executives uh, at studios. I sent it to producers. I sent mm-hmm. a lot of people. That said, "I'm coming to California in a month, and I want the opportunity to interview right. with you." So I sent this. I sent about fifty of these out, and I got twenty responses, which was wow, great. That's really Twelve good said, answer. "Sorry, we don't have anything for right. you," but eight said, "Come and see us." Okay, so. Uh, I came out on a Sunday, and by Friday, I had a job. Really? And it was, it was total luck. Uh, my resume found its way to an executive uh, at Paramount, mm. and they had just fired all the development executives after some bad season or something. Mm. I don't know what it was. Yeah. Timing was right. right. And they needed somebody. And okay. it wasn't that I had any experience. I think they felt, all "Right, here's a smart kid, and we can train him. We can teach him how to do it right. our way. And so I was, I was there for a while And ended up being an executive for about five years And I was around some really great people Some really great shows where I learned a lot Learned a lot about structure and story
1: mm-hmm.
3: And casting and mm-hmm. all those sorts of things And then how to sell right. But I am uh, uh, relentlessly optimistic And I am also uh, an inveterate uh, independent And (laughs) I I wasn't cut out to be an executive Mm
1: -hmm.
3: You want to hear a story? I'll tell you a story if you want
1: It's just so you know A little bit something, John One of the things we love about this And I love how uh, The way that you set it up Was exactly the way That we always talk about Is I always tell people When you come on my show you know, don't just say then I moved to L.A., then I got an agent, then I sold the script. Motherfucker, how? <laughs> you know what, exactly what I mean? right. So you're doing Sorry. all that. So oh, keep, okay, so, good. You're doing
3: Good. So there I am. Uh, anyway, so I, uh, I moved from Paramount to MTM, and right. uh, those are the days we were doing Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere and Remington Steel and other shows. Anyway, we had sold a pilot to ABC, and it was a spy show set in Europe. And we, we brought together... Uh, the guy that had the idea um, was not a writer. He was the producer. Okay. So we had to team him with a showrunner.
1: Right.
3: And they hated each other. <laughs> Just from the first moment, they hated each other. <laughs> so I'm sitting in my boss's office one day, and the door explodes open, and it's the producer. He mm. says, that fucking guy. <laughs> and my boss looks at him and, and says, relax. He said, it's your idea. We're going to support you. And this was his catchphrase. Everything will be wonderful. Interesting. So now the producer feels great. And he leaves. <laughs> 20 minutes later, boom, the door explodes open again. It's the showrunner. Right. That fucking guy. <laughs> my, my, my boss says, relax. You're the writer. Right. We're a writer's company. We're going to support you. Everything will be wonderful. Right. So now the showrunner leaves very happy. <laughs> my boss turns to me and he says... Handle it. Ah. <laughs> wow. I said, "That's it. I can't be an executive right. anymore. This is just. Wow. I always because I'm a kid from the Midwest. I always sort of. Uh, I'm a straight shooter. I tell right. you what I think, right. and I had that reputation as an executive. People knew they could come to me. I just I couldn't do that. So I went out on my own, and it was really hard at the time. But mm. I had made enough um, contacts right. at the time that people knew me. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Uh, Norman Lear's company, Embassy, gave me a producer deal, and so I was there and uh, uh, sold a pilot to CBS. And in fact, I'd hired a writer uh, who turned out uh, not to have done a very good job on the first draft (laughs) of the script, so I brought Jeff Melvoin, our friend, Ah, in, and uh, Uncle Jeff Jeff rewrote, (laughs) and uh, we we sold it. And uh, just a pilot order, so right. we we went to Yugoslavia, uh, and yeah. we made the pilot, so okay. we had a blast, but mm-hmm. that's another story right. um, but then I didn't see much future for a non writing producer in the business, hmm. so I took a year and a half off and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. Um, a, a, a now, mind you, this is after reading stuff.
1: probably hundreds of scripts. Yeah, you know, write. so I felt, well, I can do right. this,
3: you know. And then I realized, this is really hard. Yes. <laughs> this,
1: <laughs> this is this really hard. This There's craft. craft here.
3: But I, but I, I think um, one of the things that that, that made me uh, a good executive is that I understood story. Right. And I think that went went back to when I was a kid. I um, We were talking, uh, Chris and I were talking earlier about... Um, I, I listened to a lot of radio shows, radio drama shows from the 30s, 40s, and, oh, okay, and, right. and 50s, yeah, cool. and I collected them when I was a kid, huh. and by listening to so many of those shows, it really gave me a good sense of story and performance. Okay. Uh, and so, anyway, so, um, then I started getting hired to write some episodes of TV shows I would be embarrassed to tell you that I wrote for, <laughs> but then Bob Greenblatt discovered me as a pilot writer. Oh, really? And he gave me a chance, he was at Fox then, and he gave me a chance, and and I wrote this pilot, I'm so proud of it, it was just great, it was Mm. a comedy mystery, because that's what I really enjoyed doing. And we came really close to getting made, and it didn't, it was between me and another comedy mystery, and he he bought that one. Uh, But then that sort of started me off as a pilot writer, so I I would go in and pitch, and once you're on the list, um, you're welcome at any of the networks, and there were four then. We didn't have all the basic cable networks right. then. It was ABC, NBC, CBS, right. and Fox.
1: Now you have to go on the tour for a freaking. And two you go on the tour, and it's a pitch tour. I, I, used to call, I
3: used to call it the knee pad tour because right. you would get down on your knees and beg them to buy your pilot ideas, you know? And so um, I, did, uh, I did two a year for about five years for all the networks. Uh, as I said to you, not one of which got made. <laughs> not one of which got made, but they paid me a lot of money. It was right. great fun.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. Where's my 10%?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Please, what's going on? So, uh, but then again, I, I sort of knew that you're going to fall off the list. Right. And I don't mean this an actual list, but it's like uh, well,
2: after,
1: they, after, they after do a while, there's the a list. There's a list Is there nowadays yeah, I, uh,
3: I have no Actually, idea It was
2: for everything For right. feature rewrites for, um, for all that stuff oh, yeah.
3: But I knew I was not Going to stay uh, 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 In the group of people They would right. hire To write a pilot Because I had done so many They hadn't gotten made And they're all right We'll move on to somebody Younger or right. newer And right around that time um, I had an opportunity To do a, a documentary
1: Now how did that come to you?
3: And well uh, I knew uh, One of Groucho Marx's Grandsons Really? And he said, you know, you should do a, a film about the, the Marx Brothers. I said, what do I know about doing a documentary? I <laughs> said, I write scripts. He said, no, but you're a storyteller. Anyway, he, so he gave me the rights, and I teamed up with another guy who did know something about making documentaries. Right. And uh, we made this thing called the Unknown Marx Brothers. Hmm. And the, the conceit of the, the film was we were going to show you lots of film clips that you don't know. Right. We got some of the highlights from the classic. That's films. your thing, and you get it. Though. It is. I yeah. like to find stuff yeah. that you know that, that hasn't been seen before. So this was a whole document. We told the story of the Marx brothers, but it was largely through uh film clips no one had seen that we had we had found in, in all kinds of strange places. I
2: just want to interrupt you. You, yeah. you know who uh, Scott Alexander, you know, who wrote um Ed Wood and stuff like yes. that. Yes. He's, like, one of the biggest Marx Brothers,
3: you know, like, fans that I
2: know. I'm uh-huh. very curious to know if he's seen this movie or not.
3: I wonder if he did. Uh, I wonder if he, has, somebody, there have been a couple of feature scripts floating around about the Marx Brothers. I wonder if he wrote one. But anyway. Um, <coughs> a, a, but what I found is that I love the form of documentaries. Right. Uh, all the elements that you bring together to tell, and you're still telling a story. Um, and I just thought, this is great right? And so, I slowly didn't do pilot stuff anymore And, and for the last 17 years, I've been doing uh, documentaries exclusively I still have a couple of scripts I you know, take out once in a while and work on But I, uh, happily, I've been so busy doing docs, I haven't had a lot of time But That
1: sounds like, I'm going to interrupt you yeah. That sounds like, and Chris and I and, and, and Lisa, we talk about it all the time About saying yes to things that you Would usually say no to And it opens yourself Up to another avenue I you
3: think know? it really does But I'm going to turn it around oh, On ahead, you too go Because ahead. I think What's really important uh, in, in my business In documentaries But I think anybody Who writes scripted material It's also important To say no
1: Oh yeah It's important
3: absolutely. to say I'm not going to do that Right uh, I don't want to be doing that I right. mean uh, you know, And, I and a lot of people Would take anything And that. I think I can't remember If we were talking about this what's The that? other night But when I first came out here From you know Little Johnny From the Midwest Um <laughs> I heard a term that I didn't know, and it was called a hack, Yes, and I didn't know what that term was, Mm -hmm. and then I, I learned it after I'd been here a little while, and the term was it was somebody who just took a script job for money. And they went where the money was, whoever would pay them the most. And it wasn't about the material. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't about how they felt about the material. And so, really early on in my stay here in Hollywood, I made the decision, right or wrong, that I was only going to do things that somehow I connected to. Either um, uh, it touched me deeply, emotionally, or it made me laugh, (coughs) or it was somebody whose work I said, that's it, I'm going to do that. And if you look at... All the productions I've done, there's not one I'm not pleased to have done. Mm-hmm. And I think f- for people in the business, uh, from my point of view, I would recommend that's a good approach to take. It's tougher.
1: Yeah. It's well, a lot tougher. It's a
3: tougher. longer, well, it's it's well, a longer t- uh, more complex it's, 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 road. But at the end of the day, you can look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I like what I did. Right,
2: right. Well, because the thing that I notice is that when you take something for the money, there's a moment where you're just constantly saying to yourself, because I've done that, you know, like regretfully, is that I didn't get paid enough right. to do this. <coughs> Cause because there's like a moment where you're stuck and it's like banging your head against the wall trying to like figure something out that you know is wrong, but you don't really have the... The, the the personal insight necessary mm-hmm. to because it's not connecting with you to like for, right. for you to draw upon all the stuff that you in, it right. is in you to make it to figure out like hurdles and stuff like that. And y'all, you you're always saying, I, I, I mean, that's the thing is that when you love the work that you're doing and it touches you, there's so many. There's so many. The work is better. Yeah, it's better, but there's avenues in your from your experience that you draw upon that you might not be able to tap into because there's like something I noticed about with me, I think with a lot of people, probably artists, is that your emotions bring up certain memories that are really only accessible. If you're having the right emotion, mm-hmm. and when you're excited about something, you're able to like to get at a lot of things that you might not be able to get to, and you just like yeah, sure, you know, and that makes your work so much more uh, inviting, rich, and you and 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 you're
3: welcome to sit down every day to do the work. Right? I also feel uh, <laughs> uh, if you don't have that connection to the material, it's just you're not engaged fully, mm-hmm. and so um, some network executive, some studio executive is going to say to you, okay. So we love what you're doing, but would you make the boy a dog? Right. <laughs> and if you're not really engaged, it's <clears> like, <throat> okay, yeah, I'll do that. Because you're paying me, I'll do that. Right. Uh, even though you know you should not be making the boy a dog. Right. You, you should not be making that, that, that dramatic a change. And so I just personally, it, uh, I, I, I want to feel engaged with the material. Right. And so when I take on a subject, whether it's Coltrane or John Lennon or anybody else I might have done, uh, I have to have a passion for it. Uh, particularly in documentary filmmaking, you don't make as much as you do uh, right. um, oh, yeah. in primetime TV or, or film. You know that <laughs> <Yes>. now, Halyard.
1: <laughs> but, Three so be- years <laughs> on this goddamn project. Oh, oh mm. God. So you better love it. You know, <clears throat> right. you better love it. Let me ask you a quick question, just keeping that thought. Yeah. Because you do so many iconic films, like with Coltrane and Lennon and all those, have you ever gotten obsessed to an extent, if that makes a little sense? I don't mean to like call you out on that, but... Where you do so much, there's so much research and so much whatever on whatever the subject you, you almost get you you, you think about it you're sleeping it, you're dreaming it, you're, like it's you're, de- wa-
3: you're describing my life. <laughs> no, I mean truly, uh, when I'm when I'm doing a, a film, uh, I live, sleep, and breathe this right. film. And so yeah, I, uh, my wife will tell you there's nights I just get up at three thirty in the morning because some idea occurs to right. me and I got to get up and do this. Um. Because when, when you do a documentary, it's a little different uh, or can be a little different right. uh, than doing a, a TV or or a film in that I wear all the three important hats. I'm the yep. writer, I'm the director, I'm the producer. Yep. And as I said, I take out the garbage too. But <laughs> uh, And so, um, I ha- I'm thinking about it from all three uh, vantage points. Right. And so, there's always some work to be done. Now, I have a, a wonderful producer colleague sure. uh, that works with me and I have my editor who's worked with me for 17 years. Right. But... Um, so it's very collaborative in that sense, but it comes from me. And so I've got to, to do this. So yes, I totally get obsessed with it. And there'll be times where we're almost done with the picture hmm. and I'm still, there's something that's bothering me. There's something that isn't quite right. And I got to go out and then I find some new story thing or some new photograph shows up or some right. new piece of film shows up. I'll tell you a story about Lennon. I'm looking sure, over sure, Hilliard's sure. shoulder here. There's a, 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 a graphic of, of John Lennon over his shoulder. Um, our film was the U.S. versus John Lennon, right. and it was about how the U.S. government targeted him for his anti-war wow. politics see, in right. the seventies. I didn't know you did that. Oh, that's really good. All right. That's really all right. Really all right. Good. So, uh, parenthetically, here it is. We all fight over our credits, right? We right. all, all want to make sure the credit on the screen is right. And here, Chris is like proving the point. People don't even read the fucking credits. It's just like, oh, you did that movie? It's like I, I fought so hard to have my name no, on it. It's like so you so did hard. that, I you know? I don't, I no, but you remember the movie. You don't yeah, remember the because, credit, you know? Because the
2: title was
0: so like interesting. I was <laughs> right. like,
3: what? <laughs> so, the government had taken him on because of his anti war politics, and they really tried to neutralize him and they really tried to kick him out of the country. Right. So, our, our film was lovely. They started using all the small
1: stuff, like he had marijuana and. Marijuana oh,
3: yeah. And I mean, they, what they did against him right. was really quite amazing. So, um, he took him to court, mm-hmm. and he won. Hmm. And. I know what he said on the steps of the courthouse the day that he, I knew what he said because it was in the New York Times, but I couldn't find any film on it. Mm. And this, we were looking for it for months. So literally about two weeks before we had to uh, go in and mix the picture and do color correction and deliver it, um, I had this idea, you know. This is John Lennon. I mean, this is like one of the most photographed and filmed personalities of the 20th right. century. How could tons. there be no film on this? Right. So we had gone to every news archive. as well, we don't have it. And even <laughs> and if we did have it, it probably was thrown away a long time ago. No, 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 don't have it, don't have it. Right. And I, I am just... Relentless. I will not give up. So we tried every, we tried Nixon, we tried Lenin, we tried all kinds of ways you could look it up in the database mm-hmm. and couldn't find it. Finally, I said in my research, all right, let's try something else. I knew it was July 2nd that it happened. I said, let's try that. Hmm. Sure enough, in the CBS News Archive was an undeveloped roll of of negative, 20 minutes. All it was, was dated July 2nd, 1976. So, we paid to have it developed, and there it was. And more than I thought, there was stuff in his office, uh, in the office of the DA, and then he was out in front, and he had this wonderful... Uh, Answer to a question from a reporter and it got a huge laugh in the film (laughs) you sit in the theater and it's just the laughter starts and keeps going and it's like so but i I couldn't let it go until we actually found the film and and thank goodness we did because the film was better for it so absolutely get obsessed all the time this
2: is startling to me because this so this film is sitting there undeveloped I mean, it's so crazy that there's. I mean, that's such a. I mean, at, at that time, that's such a big moment in his life and what's happening. I mean, in pop culture, and CBS decides not to develop that film.
3: Who knows why? You know, I, but I on every documentary so I do, I, is, I find so, an example of this. So well, it's,
2: you know, it's like I mentioned to you the other night that you you have that footage. Of the, 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 the bombing In in uh, Birmingham Right uh, it's, it's, I mean like I think we've seen Some of that material But we hadn't seen The aftermath Of them might like, Clean it up And right. the cars blown up Because I, I was, turned
1: to Chris And said I've never seen, seen that, that I've never before. seen no, that neither, neither, had,
3: yeah. neither had I We Over time uh, Doing docs You develop A uh, uh, a whole bunch of sources for material. And so... Spies is what we call them. (laughs) Spies, yes, spies, exactly. And and, uh, these days, people are just so lazy anyway. So they give you just like those four or five shots that they've sold before to some other project, and they won't go and look at all the other stuff, but we make them look at the other stuff, and, and we found those shots there. And I think I told the story the other night about how... Um, I was sitting in uh, the home of Chuck Stewart, the late Chuck Stewart, who was a, a world-class photographer, yeah. photographed many, many famous uh, musicians and movie stars, and uh, and I'm sitting at his house, going through contact sheets and negatives, looking for Coltrane stuff. Yeah. And I come across. I was like, "Oh shit!" And 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 Dave, my my producer colleague, says, "What is it?" And I said, "Look at this photograph." <laughs> and he says, it's "Like Coltrane and some guy in the studio." It's like, "So what?" I said, "No, no, no! Look at what the guy's holding in his hand." And it was a Super Eight movie camera. Right. So. Now, I'm,
1: now you track. Him, uh, now yeah. I'm on the trail, you know because there's, there's evidence that something <laughs> right. was filmed. There's something was filmed. It nice. had to have been.
3: So I think maybe he shot in the studio because we couldn't uh, not find any footage of Coltrane in the studio, a lot of photos, right. but no, no footage. So uh, uh, Chuck remembered that the guy's name was Art Davis, who was a world-class bass player, mm-hmm. jazz bass player. A researcher discovered he had passed away in 2007, mm-hmm. but that he had a son who lived in Van Nuys, California, which is about 15 <laughs> minutes street. from where I live in Sherman Oaks. <laughs> and uh, so we called him up, explained who we were, what we were looking for. Oh, yeah, I got like all the home movies in the garage. Right. Hadn't looked at them. Uh, they came in a box when his dad passed away, and they were just there. So uh, very graciously, he allowed us to, to look at all of them, and, and we found a seven and a half minute color roll of film, no sound, yeah. but color roll of film. Coltrane in the studio and so I love having those kinds of things in a documentary that people like you will look and say "Whoa, I've never seen that before that's really interesting. Well because the thing about it is is that
2: a lot of times there's going to be this you know as a subject matter we're familiar with on some level and we've probably seen footage we've seen film we've seen photographs all this kind of stuff But what I really like is, but but you know, there's always another way to explore something, and that second, you know, and that story you just told about Art Davis, I mean, like. That tells you that there's always something – I mean, these events are covered by somebody somewhere in a way we haven't seen. And I right. think a lot of times people just – like you said, they say what they've already sold right. because that's what – but then that's It's beca- the easiest way to do it. It's the easiest way, it. way to do it. You know? And, it and you
1: follow your instinct. Is yeah. Hear a it, lot and of. it doesn't become yes. – Right. Um, always. Very Because the thing
2: that, that interested me that I found very kind of shocking mm-hmm. is that you had said that, that nobody had interviewed his stepdaughter –
3: Right. Uh, and I was like, Antonio.
2: I yeah. was like, I don't, that's, I mean, when she's alive, after he dies, and the, I, that, I mean, that shocked me, you know, I mean, because I was like, she lived with the man during the right. whole time when, like, this transformation. to me,
3: that didn't seem, like, too smart, but apparently it was because no one had done it before. But that's what will we'll make a good documentary is if you can find a different approach to the material mm-hmm. or you can find new original thoughts approaches material to help tell that story and that's what will make it different from just um, well, what they the, used to do on A&E when were, they had the A&E biography all the time <clears throat> yeah. you,
1: you were asking me about the documentary that I'm doing um, it's called Full Circle the Story of the New Dimensions and they were banned back in the 60s you said up and up for the Beach Boys and Jan and Dean and all those groups the interesting thing about them is they were 12 to 14 years old everybody else was in their 20s well, yeah. much, right? really yeah. so they made four albums they disbanded One of them went off to become Jimmy Greenspoon from Three Dog Night. The other was Michael Lloyd, one of the biggest music producers in town, who did, like, Dirty Dancing and a hundred other stuff, right? And um, so when I met them, we sat down with all of them. They all were still alive at the time. Jimmy passed away two years ago, right? Right. So that's my midpoint, of course, as you know. Right. (laughs) Right. So... um, Met with them, we all sat in the living room and talked about, I was just sat there and listened to the story of, I was trying to figure out why. We've heard of bands coming back, making an album and even a movie. Why, why, why? And the more I started listening to them, I just stopped them I said, wait a minute, this isn't just a movie about you guys coming back and making a new album. This is about you guys finishing that thing you never finished. I said, this is about you guys coming back full circle. And that's where it all started. Started That's how I got the job. Because I started, I was going, wait, you got to go further than this. How do we get other people to watch a surf movie? You know, especially a documentary about surf. And I started going, oh, everybody will tie into that one thing they never finished. You know yes, I mean? sure.
3: So that's how I started getting them. And it's a great thing about documentary. So you could take it very literally and say, we're doing a documentary about this, uh, mm-hmm. what the A story is. But right. then there's something else going on. Right. And you always want to find those elements that will touch people. Right. So in Coltrane, it's somebody, who, what one of us hasn't had our challenges at some point that we've mm-hmm. had to overcome? Mm-hmm. And it's once you overcome them, things start to happen for right. you. And I think everyone can sort of relate to that, that... Mm-hmm. that Kind of came from nowhere, had some difficult moments, and then boom—you right. know—it it all explodes. And so I always try to find what is that sort of core of the of the story, not just oh in 1926, 1940, right. you know those sorts. And it's of,
1: not all—it's not linea- linear, right, linear, and it's right. not
3: just literally uh, look at life. Right. Yeah. Right.
2: yeah. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing that I—I I, I mean, it's interesting. This was something that was kind of like uh, it, it was I. S- there's moments about music that is always is always magic for me mm-hmm. you know like i have a really difficult time just understanding how people create music you know i mean i'm creative in a lot of different ways but music right. has always been like way beyond me so one of the things that i um appreciated about your documentary Is how you see that those moments he's with Miles, because that's kind of like where a lot of people, you know, there's people who are big Miles Davis fans, you know, and for sure he's a giant in the field, and that kind of ooh album is a lot, you know. But what I I remember, like I used to put all my Culture albums to, I used to to order them. In the, re- in the days that they were recorded You know So I could kind of get a sense Of how he's progressing As an <laughs> Hardcore artist Hardcore right there you you know? It is
3: <laughs> uh, Talking about an obsessed
2: collector uh, There you oh, go Oh yeah okay yeah. But, what I, but what I didn't Think to do Is to go and look at these other recording dates. What were you doing when you are off? Right. And I didn't know that he recorded Giant Steps in between the hmm. kind of blue oh, two recording miles. sessions. It's miles, yeah, right, right. which I thought you know. I, I mean, yes, I knew this was the same year, but I, did, I thought you know, I, I just never thought to look. You know, and then you see it, and you're like, "That's so cool. That's such a little gem piece of understanding of how he grew." as an artist and how he was like, I got my own stuff now to do. I got stuff that I'm going to put out. And it, like you said, it was all stuff that
3: he wrote. Right. You know, And it's a journey that, that he had, had begun. And I think, you know, Uh, all of us who have done scripted material Mm -hmm. you're always trying to say is this scene important what's the point of this scene does this this scene belong in this thing it's the same thing with a documentary is I didn't want to just do as we said linear uh, he was born what I wanted to do was have each scene be important in terms of talking about what were the influences on him Mm -hmm. that helped propel him forward on that journey and so that was obviously a very important time so there's not there's sort of not a throwaway seen in this in, in, and, in Chasing Train and
1: one of the things that's interesting is um, that I found fascinating is if I believe right like your end of act one around-ish was kind of like when he realized he needs to get off drugs and all that other stuff that's really early in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like page ninety or page seventy-five or what. You know what I mean? No, You're that's like right. That's it. way I mean, it's, it's down very, there. So the whole movie still has to continue. You st- he still had these ups and downs, and you know things personal that he was dealing with. So I thought that was interesting how you did that, and it still kept us watching. You know gets, what I mean? Because
2: right. he gets divorced, and then he's right. like the whole moment where. You Know he hits kind of like his apex with like right. a love supreme, then he's like, you know, and it's interesting because see, that's a moment with love supreme the way, the way that is talked about that I think a lot of artists really can understand. And it. it's like, you can't repeat what you did, you gotta now right. step farther in ways that is unexpected. I mean, if you're a true artist, because right. otherwise, you're just like. I mean, you're just doing it for the money at that point. You become a it? hack. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Wait a minute, yeah, I that heard that word. term somewhere. Where, yeah. Where was you that? Know, and, and, and I thought that was such a... Such a uh, uh, um, in terms of the story, a, I was like, that's a really smart moment. Coltrane was like that.
3: I, I don't mean to uh, equate them in any way, because they're very different artists. But I think... Culturing and the Beatles had, had a very similar trajectory in that each hmm. album they did was different than the one that came before it. Right. Because they were constantly pushing the envelope, right. constantly trying new things, not content to just repeat the, the formula. Because so toward was the was end of his career, they,
1: people thought he was kind of crazy. With the yeah, it's like, where play. are you going? Right. You know, what is right.
3: all this? Um, not but, everybody's trying to do that shit, right? <laughs> but I, but I, I, I would want to bring, for your listeners, I would want to mm-hmm. bring this back to, we talked about this a little bit the other night, but... Um, having come out of the scripted world, right. it has given me a different perspective on making documentaries. I think mm-hmm. what makes my docs different than, than perhaps some others who come from the journalism world or, or something like that is I, I approach them with a very traditional three-act dramatic structure. Right. And, and you can see it. And in the case of Chasing Train, what I wanted and to do And you use was, the
1: sequences perfectly. I, I see the <laughs> You're adventures. nice to say. Thank you. <laughs>
3: um, but what I wanted to do was open the film— Much like when we were talking about classic films before, and and, and a guy that influenced me a lot uh, when I was um, uh, growing up was Frank Capra. Mm. Uh, And Capra will always take his hero and and put him or her at a crisis moment. They're in a hole so deep and so dark, how are they going to get out, and Mm. where are they going to go, and how are they going to accomplish their goals, and you're not quite sure. Mm. And so, I, I felt... That seemed to be right for Coltrane. So, we open Chasing Train, where he's at a crisis point. And then it's like, what is he going to do? And we leave you there. And then we go back and start to tell other aspects of the story. And I think, again, coming out of the scripted world has helped me a great deal as a storyteller in the documentary
1: world. Right, right. That's totally... I agree with you hundred percent. But
3: you must be discovering
1: this in your surf oh, god, talk, yeah, you know. Totally. That your I mean, scripted experience really yet. helps you. We you just know? have fucking you know thousands of hours of footage <laughs> after <laughs> you <know>. three years. <laughs> oh my god! But you know, it just kind of keeps going. Oh, we just met this other, and then one of the guys in the bands refers to some other, you know, surf icon from the '60s, and then now we got Gidget, and it's like you know one thing after another. Just kind of <laughs> keeps, and I'm just like, I know where I'm going though. I know the beginning and I know the ending. The stuff in the middle. I know where I need to go, I know what my midpoint is I under, I know, you know what I mean, I have the I have the story And
3: you're going to have some nights like we just talked about uh-huh. Where you're going to wake up at 3.30 in the morning And some ideas going to occur to you about how to handle some of this And i got to you know? find <laughs>
1: someone to tell me
2: this I need a story to be told by someone right. alive yes. well, See, I, 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 the thing that I really like about as you're saying about coming from the scripted world And documentaries even people who don't come from I guess journalism, stuff like that I, You know what everyone pushes you when you're writing a scripted thing, TV or film, is what's the emotion? Like, how do I suck you in emotionally? Right. And it's not just – because a lot of times you watch documentaries and there's, like, a curiosity factor that keeps you going for a lot of it. Sure. But that's what I really enjoyed about – like I told you, when I was watching your thing, like, there's moments where, where I was tearing up because oh, I just was I like, that. you know – uh, I mean it's a story that I knew. I knew this story. I had read a couple of the books, you know, growing up, you know, not growing up like I into it was so so heavily in college and everything and I just but it was told in a way that kept me on edge and kept me um kept me guessing about who's going to come and say something that you found to say something new and revelatory that I didn't know that oh, I great. didn't really, because uh, you know a lot of times the people do the, bu- the the books they don't have these. It's one thing to hear a, a first-hand source speak, or it is to read them. You know, because I want to say. Um, is it he, he jimmy Heath you had it like you know like he's there his brother and him are like so into the jazz thing mm-hmm. but to hear him talk it's like he's he's reminiscing so there's that there's that that wistful emotion in his voice but he's also like he's happy to impart this moment to us about his memory that was important to him and now was and and now it's like it's 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 set in stone down for all of us to hear too. Yeah. Well, you know, it's
3: part of the thing about a, a documentary, and you'll you're probably discovering this now, mm-hmm. but you can have people tell you facts. Right. And that's important because you need to know certain things about your story. It is much more challenging to get them to open up to you and be emotional. Or I don't mean tell you dirt, but I mean just tell you uh, the, the, you mentioned Antonia. and I, uh, Antonia tells a story in the film that is just, it's a small story, but it's an emotional story. And it tells right. you so much about Coltrane. And Jimmy Heath, a uh, good example. Um, I didn't want to do the the thing. And then Coltrane got sick and right, uh, right. this thing happened. So we sort of ease into the death in, in a very interesting way. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy's part of that. Because Jimmy, will, he told a story about... Um, Staring into the open casket And what right, he saw I won't right. spoil it for That's such a moment yeah. And it was, was such that. a little moment yes. But it was a wonderful story yes. That just spoke volumes right. And that's the the great thing in, in a doc That, that if that you can find somebody, the one
1: little story right. That will say so much That only somebody who spent the time with him That that's the thing he focused on Because exactly. he would see him well, well, <laughs> You well, know what I what, mean?
3: All we'll say is that it had to do with Coltrane's hand And it was a wonderful moment. What's interesting about that is, is that I always
2: noticed in the photos, his hands are very specific, and <laughs> um, it's it's something that I've noticed about a lot of jazz musicians. You know, there's something about that, or there's something about like the way that they um, they hold the instrument in their mouth, or think you know, like you know, like with dizzy, there's 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 that's something that is. I think it's a really there's shots you have. That kind of build up to that, I think, in my from from knowing that, you know, particularly that shot you have when they're that that performance with with him and Miles when they're that TV performance, you know, you know, which is not great, yeah, which which I've seen, Ah. but I hadn't heard it that way. You know, I've seen
1: it before too, and I never took in Miles's look. Miles was like, "No, go ahead and do your thing," but there was a piece of. This motherfucker's a little better than me. <laughs> I don't know what it was. It was some, <laughs> no, 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 see, no, I don't want to go there. There, there was something. No, I, yeah. okay. But see,
2: again, this is the thing that I always talk about about the. Like he's upstaging me right now. <laughs> there a was little bit of that, and you could see it that. on his face. Yes. It was really yeah. Yeah, well, the, the, the thing about cinema that I am such a proponent of is when you see it big, you see things right. that you don't see when you see it small, right. and that footage. Right. It's something that was that was Broadcast for television mm-hmm. So it was never really designed To be right. Seen at that,
3: that And you can see scale. bits and pieces On Zip YouTube to, but yeah. Right. yeah
2: But you, Well Except But that way again That's still a small screen Exactly But yeah. you're watching it On this big theater screen And you see these little nuances And like Miles is right. Smoking off He's like And this The, the, the screen the, allowed
1: you To zoom in on Miles in, If you will yes, You know what I mean Yes Because it's yeah. so big that's yes. what, Right Yeah oh. I was
2: like That's <laughs> You know But you know <laughs> you,
3: What you were talking about That Chris Is really interesting Um, again, about uh, leading an audience somewhere, building a foundation. So that's, again, where, for me anyway, the uh, fact I came out of scripted really helped me because when you do a scripted thing, you're building the foundation. You're building uh, that skeleton, that structure that will take the audience where you want them to go, and so you've got to lay things in. Laying pipe. (laughs) they still
2: use that expression? I've been out of the pilot game for a while. But they
3: call it, you know, laying pipe. Uh, And so, that's what I do Doing all these documentaries Is you You put things In a little bit earlier That maybe you don't even draw A, a, a tremendous attention to mm. But then it comes back And has something mm. uh, uh, It affects something later on
1: Hey John you know? Two things before we Before we go yeah. um, Can you tell us I know you've told us But I want the audience To hear the story and how you got Denzel And also I want you to just tell us A little bit about How you decided to Cast your interviewers Like um, Interviewees Like Um Um Like Common and all the other people that that you had in there.
3: Sure. Anytime I start a doc, um, I I will cast who I interview, um, much like you would cast a scripted feature, where each character is very distinct, very different. So I want different voices. I want different perspectives. And I want people who speak uh, physically in a different way so that nobody seems to be similar to someone else. And I think that's really important Because sometimes you see these documentaries Like if you you see about a particular world Whatever it is And they all kind of have the same experience They all sort of talk the same So I wanted really, really different So in Chasing Train I started off uh, I wanted people that knew Coltrane So that was the first group Uh, People that could speak with credibility And legitimacy to who he was as a a man And as an artist So we had jazz legends like Sonny Rollins And Benny Golson And Jimmy Heath And Mm -hmm. Wayne Shorter And Reggie Workman Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, so when they speak, as you were talking about the Jimmy Heath thing, and we were talking about the hands. When they speak, it's like, wow, he knows what he's talking about. So that's really important. So that was the first group. Second group was family, because family can give you a much more intimate view of your like subject. His daughter, like his daughter. Like right. his Antonia, in the story right. that I, that we talked about, the shoes. We won't say it. You'll right. have to come right. and see so chasing trains you so you that, understand yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so we had a stepdaughter, Antonia, stepdaughter, Michelle, Mm -hmm. and then his two sons from his second marriage, Ravi and Oran. Uh, And then I wanted artists who claim Coltrane uh, as an inspiration for their well earned success. So we have common. We have Santana. Mm-hmm. We have Wynton Marsalis. We have John Densmore of The Doors. Right. We have Kamazi Washington, who's a fantastic <coughs> sax player. And and so they all can speak to what it was about Coltrane's work that touched them so deeply that made them want to do what they did. Right. And that, to me, is invaluable. And then I always want to have some people in a film so that people like you and, and your listeners will say, what the heck are they doing in this movie? <laughs> and so uh, I had seen... As a pundit uh, for some years, uh, uh, Dr. Cornell West.
1: Right. And... Um, he was a scene stealer. I'm going to give it to you. He is a, he scene, stealer. a scene stealer. <laughs> There's no question about
3: it. Uh, he and I did a, he did a Q&A with me when we opened the the Chasing Train Theatrically all in right. New York. And he, like, he was in full Baptist preacher mode. And he <laughs> was just going. If I got in a word edgewise, right. I was lucky. Right. But he was, it was amazing. We stayed friends. We text each other all the time. All right. But... Um, as i said to you when we were doing the q a hilliard uh sometimes you're smart and sometimes you're lucky i right. was really lucky with right. him because i had seen him speak about the black experience in america so that's what i wanted him to talk about um mm-hmm. uh, the environment in which coltrane was raised and 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 all of that world and then i figured in the editing room with some things other people said i'll connect it to coltrane's okay. experience right i didn't have to what do you know, he comes in, he's an obsessed Coltrane fan. He knows recording everything. dates, he knows studios, he knows everything about his life, right. and you see it on screen that mm-hmm. he he connects all of this in such an eloquent, passionate way. So it's was, it was
1: just amazing. I, and comment, then, I commented to you That he gave you He gave you so many Great buttons to stop on You know what I mean He did was, Remember yeah. We were turning to each other like, that was a good line The whole time We're watching it Because you know
2: The thing about Cornell West is, is that You know I mean As you know I mean he has a He has a speech He's a speaking style mm-hmm. That is so engaging, and, he, and right. I mean, he could be reading the phone book and still make it interesting. But when he's yeah. like, but his passion for the music, for the man, right. just it, gave it this jumps other, off the screen yeah, at you. Yeah, it was
3: just every time of. And writing, in fact, you know? so many buttons that um, there were two or three. I was thinking about how am I going to end the film, hmm. and he had this. Uh, again, I'm not going to spoil it for your listeners. You got to come and see Chasing Train, and you'll see it. But he had just the perfect way. Uh, and simple, yes. Uh, in terms of bringing all the yes. themes together that we yes. had talked about in the film, which was really amazing. Anyway, and then I also wanted uh, uh, we got Bill Clinton. Bill right. Clinton is in the film, which is not good. just because our oh, first, you our know, first I like real
1: black President, right. <laughs> the first black president. That's right.
3: I, and and uh, uh, I, I knew that he liked Coltrane right. I didn't know just how passionate and knowledgeable and thoughtful he was and you see this yeah. there's a good talk about soundbites there are a good five sound bites from Bill Clinton in Chasing Train right. that are just you, you blow you away including right. this last the last one right. about Picasso and I won't spoil right, it for right. you but it was just great so that's how we sort of chose people but then I had another challenge so I had all these people telling these great stories we found all these great photographs there's about 500 photos no one's ever seen mm-hmm. before we had film that no one's ever seen before Uh, But I wanted Coltrane to have um, a a vital presence in the film. And he had done no TV interviews in his life. (laughs) He had done only a handful of radio interviews. He was so humble and so Mm -hmm. quiet. He just didn't feel that that was something that gave him great pleasure to do. And um, so I didn't have those to work with. Mm -hmm. Happily, though, he had done a lot of print interviews, magazines and newspapers during the height of his career. So I was able to take... Uh, words from those interviews and pepper them throughout the film to illuminate what he yeah. might have been thinking or feeling at a particular yeah. time. And that gave us a window into his soul and a window into his mind. And again, because I'm relentlessly optimistic, I said, I want a movie star to read these. So, I... Um, for
1: $5. <laughs>
3: <laughs> for no money at all. And uh, so, I, I went to... Um, casting director friend of mine Vicky thomas who's fantastic mm-hmm. uh, she does all tarantino's films does a lot of films and i said will you help me she said oh i love your your, your movies of course i'll do that she said so make a list of five guys that you think could do coltrane mm-hmm. write me a paragraph about what the film is and then write me another paragraph about what you want the talent to do mm-hmm. so i did that and i sent it to her on a wednesday <laughs> and on saturday i got a text from her And says, your number one choice is in, needs to talk to you. Okay. She said, here's his phone number. He never answers his phone, but he'll get the message and he'll call you back. I said, okay, great. So, uh, that was Saturday. On Monday, I call, and uh, I mean, as we said the other night, mm-hmm. uh, we've all had that experience where you call someone and you're not expecting to get them, right. and you do, and your brain freezes. And So, this voice I know so well says, yes, and it says, ah, 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 and then I explain who I am. Say, oh, yes, John, right. Uh, love Coltrane, intrigued about this, but I got to see the film. Hmm. He said, okay So, um, we send the rough cut A secure link of the rough cut To where we are at that particular time in the film We weren't finished And uh, five days go by <laughs> And I'm convinced he hates it And I'm never going to hear from him Because, you know, all of us creative people We have that in us That oh, we're not up oh, to yeah. the task yeah, And it's we, just yeah. not we, you you've, know. Done,
1: you've done 17 movies <laughs>
3: <laughs> Exactly So, on the fifth day, my phone rings and this voice that I know uh, mm. doesn't say hello, doesn't say how are you, doesn't say what's going on, just says, it's beautiful, brother. Mm. When are you coming to Pittsburgh? Because Denzel was in in Pittsburgh making Fences. So then, of course, my heart came up off the sidewalk, <laughs> in, back into my chest. Uh, and so, uh, again, it, it, uh, yes, the film had to be good, right. but it also had to be that he had a passion for the subject. Right. He's so busy. He's doing so much stuff. That uh, So, again, when I was thinking about that list of five, who was it going to be? Mm. Yes, he's one of the biggest movie stars <laughs> in the world. Yes, he's a great actor. Right. But one thing that was very important to me is that all the guys that knew Coltrane it described him to me as a man of quiet strength. Mm. And if you think about the roles Denzel has played on the screen, largely they are men of quiet strength. Mm. He's not a yeller and a screamer. Mm. He doesn't, you know, he does mm. it his own. And... That's what he brought to these words yeah, of Coltrane and yeah. and really elevated the film as far yeah. as I'm concerned. So, um, so I, I would say when you're going after people like that, choose well, meaning uh, make sure they have a connection to the material. Mm-hmm. I just finished a film. We're delivering it next week. Uh, I can't say too much about it, mm-hmm. but um, Billy Crystal does the voice oh, really? of the wow. star. Yeah, right. And again, it was because he had a real passion for the subject of the film. Right. And so, I would say do that, and then then you have to get really lucky <laughs> that yeah. they have time and that yeah. they, 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 I, that I they like your movies. Just so. One
2: question because I kind of remember Denzel yeah talking about jazz when he did a Mo bit of blues. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I don't remember if he was. A Cold chain fan or not But he obviously is He obviously had to
3: have been He really was And so I'll tell you a story When I When I I went to Pittsburgh And uh, We recorded him On one of his days off And it was really interesting You know Some stars have entourages It was just Denzel The engineer And me in the studio Wow He just It was great You know And And we finished And he wouldn't leave I mean I thought he He got a gazillion things to He just wanted to stay And talk about music And stuff It was really kind really? of cool it was, it was, it was, He was just great That's He was just great But anyway I brought a A box of Of material for him Of Of um, Some CDs And box sets And then some vinyl And his He sees this in the box. His eyes light up like he's a 12-year-old. And vinyl, wow, this is really cool. And he's like, he clung to this box like he was a kid again because he got free Coltrane stuff, you know. Anyway, he was so great, and I'm so grateful to him that he decided to do it. And um, it really made a difference in the picture.
1: what's that. Well, thank you, John. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's a
3: shame we couldn't find anything to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Hey, John, are you on Twitter or anything like that? I'm on Facebook,
3: so if you look me up, you'll sort of see all the new films I'm doing and where I'm going. In fact, uh, uh, a week from today, I'm going to be on the... Jazz Super Cruise yeah. They have booked the film Chasing Train And it's it's. Uh, they go from New York To Bermuda There's like 4,000 people On this cruise It's all jazz They have lots Of live performers uh, And is then it, they have is Seminars it, and, and Is it safe
1: to go right now? The hurricane All those Well
3: uh, We're wondering uh, mm-hmm. Well,
1: I uh, ask, ask me
3: in a week If we actually had it Because it's going Past <laughs> we'll Bermuda if Or if I make it back From the Bermuda Triangle <laughs> you know. Because
2: I, I, I'm not sure If Bermuda got hit I know mm-hmm. That, um, not yet, but but we don't know. But okay.
3: anyway, so there. So yes, we're all, we're off to do this, and, uh, and hopefully for a whole group of uh, captives on a ship, mm-hmm. and, and they're going to come and see the film, and I'll do Q and A's and stuff. Sure. So yes, you look me up, uh, John Scheinfeld, on, on Facebook. I'm cool. there. I'm not on Twitter. I haven't mastered that, <laughs> but uh, one of these days. <laughs> all
2: right. Anyway, well, yeah, thanks Chris. for having me. <clears throat> Thank <laughs> Thank you, I am on Twitter and Instagram. Same thing
1: at uh, at um, unauthorized CBD. Is where I am Cool And I'm your host Hilliard Guest You guys can find me On Twitter I say Twitter Like I'm cool <laughs> At Hilliard Guest You can follow me On uh, Instagram Also same thing uh, Follow the show Screenwriters ScreenwritersRR On Twitter Any questions ScreenwritersRantRoom At gmail.com um, Big shout out To all the countries Out there That are following us um, Top five Is um, Canada uh, England Australia South Africa China And Japan I chasing trains six.
3: going there in 2018 in all that's those countries, that? so cool. they well, should look for it.
1: Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> let me see what else is going on. A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff's going on. Um, we're about to do the black scene, so it'll be done by the time this comes out, um, so that'll be cool. Um, hopefully, I'll meet you before we leave, before you leave, the 23rd? Something yeah. like, okay, good. All right, we'll talk. All right, um, so join in with me for 2017. So you know how we do it on The Rant Room, on the show, We Keep It Real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Chris? 2017. 2017. Peace, y'all. I'm gonna
0: say what I feel, and I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the rainbow Road. So you wanna be a rider, well you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed In the rent room, we let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd got no time for no caca Sass in class, yes the of kasha Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more no game than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel, say what you want